Well, I, um, I've been teaching uh, at Wayne State, and I know that the people listening can't, uh, can't tell, but uh, for 43 years, but I am very, very young looking. In fact, I have a, a full dark uh, head of hair and um, clean shaven. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I've been at Wayne State since uh, 1980. And uh, I've published a number of books, um, a lot of my poetry books, uh, but it, uh, I have also done, I think, four, three or four um, uh, anthologies. And a recent one was Respect from Michigan State. It was uh, Poets on Detroit Music. And uh, the, the other big one before that was Heaven Was Detroit, essays about Detroit music, th you know, through various genres from jazz uh, up through techno and hip hop and all that stuff. So that's in the last the five years anyway. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> it's kind of cool, but I I don't I don't get it, but you know. It's good. Well, you know, the other book that I'm uh, getting, you know, ready to send to the editor, publisher is, uh, editor, is uh, my memoir. And um, I talk about this, of course, in there. Uh, I have no real idea why I started writing poetry or how I come from a working class uh, background raised by grandparents. Grandfather worked in the factory at Dodge, Maine, as a matter of fact, he was there for the 37 sit down. Um, I, you know, I wasn't uh, destined for college. I, did, I wouldn't have known what college, college was even. Um, but um, so I just started writing my thoughts and feelings down. Now, one thing that is that I think about in retrospect is uh, my grandmother really loved Elvis Presley. And um, she gave me uh, Elvis's golden hits for my, you know, when I was four. And I'm just, and I really, really love that. And, um, and then I, I, that might've been my intro into lyric or word or something because there, otherwise there's, there's no real explanation. I started jotting stuff down in my textbooks, much to the chagrin of my teacher in second grade um who called my grandparents and they, they had to pay for the book um but i don't know why i was doing that it's not like i do know uh other than maybe you know subconsciously being influenced by um by elvis um but no no i i i don't i mean there's obviously some 
Uh, Bob Dylan comes to mind. Leonard Cohen comes to mind. Uh, but, you know, both of those people, Joni Mitchell comes to mind. They're, they're all poets, too, really. So Jim Morrison. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I did. I started uh, writing this stuff down, uh, you know, uh, in the margins of pages and so forth. And I really didn't understand it. When I got to the fifth grade, uh, the, the teacher I had, who was probably one of the most inspirational teachers I ever had in my life, um, and I didn't understand that until I went back to visit him many years later. But uh, in the fifth grade, he mentioned that we were going to read a poem uh, uh, called The Raven. And we will open our literature books, you know, to, you know, whatever, page 156. And when I saw that, I just thought, oh, there's a lot of white around the edges of this. Um, this is different than a page of prose or, you know, in a regular book. And I thought, that's, I don't know, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I, I'm writing something that, that leaves, a, that's in lines, as it turns out, and it has a lot of white space around it. So that's when I f finally knew or knew I was, a, was writing poetry. I didn't know I was a poet, but... Um, I, I, that's when I discovered, oh, so I write poetry and I just kept doing that and doing it. And that turned into actually not writing in the textbooks, but writing, you know, on paper, uh, in the old fashioned way in cursive. Um, and I, I wrote everything down and I kept writing. It wasn't good. I don't think, I don't even want to see or think about that stuff. Uh, I do have it all. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I just kept, pardon me? No, I, I, I actually duct taped it uh, in a box, a couple of boxes. I, I, and I tell my students, never throw anything out. Keep everything. Well, I did, but I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to open those boxes. And, but I do that with a lot of poems that maybe, let's say I wrote a poem four years ago. And then I'm looking through uh, my notebook, and I and it's in there, and I will, um, you know, go back to it, and, and you know, hopefully make it better, and and it might even change where it's going uh, originally when written four or five years ago. But yeah, so I do that, but not I don't go that far back. That's <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, well, that's another story. <laughs> that's chapter eight now. Um, you know, I one when I went to when I did end up going to college, which I, you know, I, nobody in my family ever went to college, so it it made no sense to anybody. But uh, like a lot of people who were from Macomb County, uh, I ended up at Macomb Community College, um, and. Uh, while there is when I got introduced to a creative writing class, because I never heard of that before. And, and then through that, I actually met some of the people, the artists that I, I still know. And, and, and we're the ones that started the Ridgeway Press back in 1973. So it's going to be 50 years old. Um, 
next year. But I just ran into these people in these creative writing classes. And uh, we started then, you know, writing and, and reading and filming and, and videotaping and all that stuff. Um, and and I, well, at that point, I knew I was a poet poet. That's what I was going to do. And, uh, and then, you know, then I went from Macomb to Oakland University back then. Oakland, uh, there was no freeway there. So it was like an hour drive and it was like far enough, but not too far from where I, where I still live in St. Clair Shores. Uh, so, but, so we moved up there. I moved up there with uh, my best friend and we went to college uh, there, but I was, so I became an English major. Um, I, and I didn't, I originally, I was really, and, and still am really into history. And so when we got to the university at Oakland, uh, my friend was going to be an English major. Wait, I, it, it just said that I lost the network connection, but yeah, yeah, yep, yep, I do. Yeah, it does, um, you know, because some of the work I, I guess if I look at all of my work, uh, I'd probably put it in you know, three categories of sorts. There's uh, there's the the kind of working class uh, suburban background experience, um, childhood stuff, and then there's some political stuff uh, that's also a part of what I do. And then then there are times when I'll go back uh, historically and look at something um, and, 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 you know, write a longer narrative kind of history poem, which is something that I really learned from my mentor and my good friend, Ed Sanders. He's sort of the master of investigative poetry. Yeah. So, um, so at on the first day of school, my best friend roommate, uh, he was going to be an English major. I was going to be a history major. And um, we both went to our classes that first day. And afterwards, I just thought, you know, because I, I was writing poetry all the time at that point and even publishing stuff. But uh, I thought, you know, I'm a poet. I can't be a history major. I'm going to have to be an English major. I don't know if I like English, but I'll have to do that. And he said, well, I don't really like English. He's a he was a really good writer. He said, but I love history. So we just really changed, uh, exchanged our schedules, our courses, and then later changed our names in them and stuff like that. And that that's sort of how that part ended up. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Retke, I, you know, respect as the Michigan or the iconic American poet, uh, also working in form a lot, uh, but he's from Saginaw. So, uh, oh, you are, oh, we used to do, oh, we used to do gigs up there all the time. Um, there, there was a really fine poet, Jim Chrisman. I think he's a doctor. 
and he's in Midland. And 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 we I we I went up there quite a bit. You know, I do music and poetry together sometimes. So I've had my band up there many, many times over the years and done the public radio station up there and all that stuff. I don't. I just tell everybody what to play. That's the best part. <laughs> I don't read music. I say I want I, I want something like this. Da 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 da. Sometimes they want to make fun of that and go, well, how do you play da 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 da? You know what I'm talking about. So, uh, so, so we do that, and and then sometimes, uh, many times, the musicians I work with will bring, you know, music to the table, and uh, but that goes back to your very first question about, you know, do I consider lyrics and so forth? When I do, and I've done many albums. So what I do with my poetry uh, when I work with musicians is I they bring music or I come up with music and then we start jamming it and I start looking through my poems to find uh, the right poem with that particular music. Now, all music is not, you know, uh, open for poetic interpretation. So it, it has, when I work with someone anyway, it ha I have to hear that poet sensibility, whether they're famous or they're local musicians here. You know, some people I'm friends with, you know, several well-known musicians, and I love the work they do, but it's not the kind of thing that I would, that I don't feel a connection to it, to set poetry to it if that makes sense. But so, so all my stuff is actually that's on record and uh, an audio is, is poetry that I, from my books, or maybe even a newer poem that I had written before a book. Right. Uh, well, I don't know a lot about Robert Lowell. I mean, I do know about Robert Lowell, but I'm not as familiar with his work. But what I do know of his work is he was very much a part of the anti-war movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement. And I was, I have been and was aware of that. And then he has that classic poem, I think it's, uh, is it for the Union Dead or something like that? Yeah, the, yeah, it's but that's a classic in a lot of books. But that is very good poetry. Uh, you know, he's a confessional confessional poet. I'm not sure I know what exactly what that is. And you know, I'm not that uh, for the most part, so I don't relate to it. Although I respect him, he was great. He died too young, um, as I I heard it and know it. Uh, Ginsburg. Um, he, there's an interesting story with him because when I was in high school, I thought Allen Ginsberg was a beatnik, or not, I'm sorry, I thought he was a hippie poet. And, you know, from the hippie generation, which I was part of that. And it wasn't until much later I learned, uh, well, the first poem I read of his was America. And, and I was very much part of the anti-war movement, even as a high school student. And that poem really appealed to me. 
And uh, it was later than I learned about Howell, but then I later learned also that he had written America in the late 50s. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. Now, over the years, I've had um, opportunities to uh, visit with Ginsburg and be on programs with him. Um, so I, you know, ironically uh, or coincidentally, I got to, you know, got to know him somewhat over the years. We, we had a lot of mutual poet friends and so on. And I, and I like him. I like him. Mm. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just been looking at it recently, as a matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, I would. I'd say that I go in between sort of what is known as a populist poet, which is like a poet that you can understand without having a PhD. Um, so I'm somewhere between that. But then on the other hand, I really do my poetry like when I think about it, it's more like painting. So I don't I don't know what my poems mean all the time, most of the time. People tell me and then I think, oh, that's genius. I'm going to use that at my next reading. I'm going to say, hey, this poem is, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> a great example of whatever. Um but so that, that, that's how I would describe it. I, I kind of lean more towards the populist uh, Walt Whitman-esque type poet with, you know, and I have, but I keep one foot and I just, another area of my poetry is spirituality. And I keep one foot grounded in, in, in that and sort of mysticism, if you will. And that's when I paint these uh, pictures of poems that, seem like they make some sense but i could explain it and i don't i, I like it when other people interpret my stuff because i you know it's just like interpreting an abstract painting you know what does it mean really um i thought what i do is i would read uh i mean i would recite this poem since we were talking at the beginning of the podcast about it uh that is a true story and inspired uh maybe inspired me to be a poet and go in that direction it's it's called um it's called rock and roll my grandmother taught me how to rock she hummed elvis while she hemmed my pants she liked elvis she liked him so much that she bought me a black leather jacket and motorcycle hat like marlon brando's it really pissed Mrs. Taylor off. She kicked me out of the first grade. She said I'd be a bad influence on those kids. I didn't like those snotty-nosed kids anyway. They couldn't rock like grandma. 
So that's a true story. <laughs> Thank you. So what I'll, I'll do, I'm just looking on here uh, on my iPad, which I hate it when poets read from their iPad, but I don't, ha I don't have a copy of my book handy and nobody can see what I'm doing anyway. They can only hear they can only hear me. But I, I thought maybe I'd read something from the, the most recent poetry book from Wayne State, um, if that seems remotely interesting. All right. This is a, a, another, uh, this book, the, the most recent Wayne State book, is split up uh, uh, between three chapters. Um, one, the first part of it is... Uh, you know, my American face is the idea. It's it's like my America, my life. Not a, not as a confessional poet, but anyway, my life. Um, and then the second part of this book is uh, sort of the it's I call it the American War chapter. And because I I did spend um, some time with the U.S. Uh, State Department. Uh, working in in Afghanistan uh, with the people there, not with the soldiers, they kept me alive. But I went into you know villages and stuff, and and did stuff with kids and adults and all that. But anyway, this is uh, and then the last part is something I call American Psalms. These are short, in my in my view, short little poems that are some kind of political dig or you know, some political or philosophical point that's being made, uh, like a psalm is in the Bible, you know, only it's not religious. Uh, but this is from the war, American war section. And it's it's called, um, again, this is true too, pretty much, uh, Kandahar Mission Briefing. Kandahar Mission Briefing. They brought me in quietly sitting us all in a large half circle, a chalkboard, a captain, and a mission leader. The mission is to take this poet into city center Kandahar tomorrow. To get into the city, we will take four MRAPs. The leader will scout the road ahead for IEDs. The middle one will carry the poet and turret gunner. The third and fourth vehicle will serve as lookouts and follow-ups. If any of these vehicles hits an IED, and if the vehicle doesn't tip, do not, under any circumstance, exit the vehicle. If the gunner is hit or killed, the poet must grab his legs like thus and hold on. You must not let go of the gunner. When we arrive at the outpost, Soldiers in vehicles one, two, three, and four will exit and search the school grounds for insurgents disguised as Taliban poets. When the all clear is given, the poet will exit the vehicle with exit vehicle number two with body armor, helmet, and first aid kit. He will be surrounded by six soldiers. Once the okay is given, soldiers will bring poet into building where the poet greets the director and 34 male Kandahar poets and authors. If room is not compromised, poet may take off his body armor. If scene seems dangerous, he must keep armor and helmet on at all times. After talk, 
reading, and hummus, we must leave the grounds. ASAP, no lingering. So that <laughs> that's a longish poem. So yeah. Well, then I went back to Oakland because I wanted to teach. I knew I, I knew I wanted to teach, and I knew that I needed at least a master's degree to do that. And since I, I think when I graduated, I applied for graduate school there, and it seemed like it came down to, you know, you have one month left to either apply in, in, in the program or, you know, forget it or, or whatever. So I thought, I better do this. I have this offer to do it. And I'm glad that I did because I did want to be a teacher. And that's exactly what I became. Yeah, which which is which really is my first love. I mean, the poetry is nice and a lot of great things have happened. And, you know, I've been around the world several times because of poetry. But uh, but, you know, teaching is my real passion. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. What school are you at? Oh, you're down there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. That is a ways. God, I could talk about God. I have a story about that, actually. I, I wrote, I've, I've written and set to music a poem a, a number of years ago called The Lazarus Dream Forgiven. And I have in, you know, the last 10 years, more than that, uh, done a lot of work in Israel and the West Bank. I mean, I've some, there were some years I went like three times to do stuff. But my first time there, I went to this teacher college. Uh, it's, you know, all Jewish students. And I had a musician and we did a couple of pieces. And then I said, I want to do this Lazarus dream poem and i go you all know lazarus don't you and and the, they all looked at me and then the teacher goes they don't know that story and i said well let me tell you the story generally you know uh there's this guy he lives you know up in the upper galilee and uh he he becomes really well known and and he becomes quite famous and his friend has uh, is sick and the sisters come to him and say uh, our brother Lazarus and this is Margaret and Mary by the way uh, our brother Lazarus is sick and he's your best friend you have to come down um, um, from Tiberius or up in that area by the Sea of Galilee you got to come down and help him and, and heal him and you know and Jesus uh, this guy's name is Jesus he's like hey you know I, I can't come right now I just can't do that right now, uh, but I'll come. 
And they said, no, no, you got to come. He's really sick. He's really sick. So anyway, the dude goes down uh, and and he he goes to Bethany. And, and all the students kind of knew where Bethany is. It's just in. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> all right. This will be the great last story. So it, it's we're right into, um, um, uh, we're in Bethany, which is where Lazarus is buried. I actually got to go in the tomb and all that stuff, but that's another question. So I'm telling the story to them. And then I said, and he died. And then the sisters are really pissed off and they were like, you didn't come. You should have came. You didn't come. And so Jesus said, it's, it's all good. Don't worry about this. I got this. And he, and he commands Lazarus to come out of the cave and he's alive and everyone's freaked out. And the students are like looking at me and they go, how'd that happen? I said, that my friends is for my next visit. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> sure. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.